Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another edition of The Brown Bag. I'm your host, Michael T. Brown. Hey, follow us on Twitter, at MTBrown98, or connect with us on LinkedIn or our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash thebrownbag1, where you can post questions for our guests. You can also catch our broadcast on demand after taping or get a free download on iTunes. Have you missed any of our previous broadcasts? No worries. Go to blogtalkradio.com, search The Brown Bag, and listen at your leisure. Friends, today it's all about you, your well-being, your emotional state, and your drive to maximize your potential. It's safe to say that we all get sad, feel down from time to time, but what about when those feelings begin to get the best of you? Have you ever considered therapy or counseling? I know some of you might say, if I go see a counselor, that means I have problems. And you will be correct. We all have problems but how we respond to these problems can make all the difference in the world. One response can be through professional counseling, and today we have two licensed professional counselors that plan to talk all about it with us. Hey, Mike, I don't know about you, but uh, I've had some moments where I've been maxed out, and uh, it's just great to have somebody to talk to. What do you think? Yeah, it is. You know, And a professional kind of hears things and sees them a little bit differently, understands maybe the emotion behind it, and you're really – your state of being and uh, can help you to push through those things where maybe a friend can't really give you anything that you could really um, take to heart. Yeah, that's a great point. And Mike, we've got two dynamic guests today. Why don't you go ahead and introduce our first guest for us, please? Dr. Maya Coleman-King is a licensed clinical psychologist who treats patients for individual, group, and couples therapy. As a partner at PGW, Dr. Coleman King balances the role of clinician supervisor and assistant clinical psychology professor for the George Washington University. Dr. Coleman King specializes in treating women struggling with symptoms of depression and anxiety, as well as couples seeking assistance in building communication skills, overcoming differences, and making decisions that are more satisfying. In addition, she has over 10 years of experience in the psychological assessment of children, adults, and forensic populations. Dr. Coleman King earned her Ph.D. at Howard University in clinical psychology in 2004. She is also a graduate of the University of Michigan, Ann Arbor, where she earned a master's degree in developmental psychology. Dr. Coleman King completed her internship at the APA-accredited Howard University Counseling Service Internship Program. She has five years of experience working as a certified school psychologist in the District of Columbia Public School System and was promoted in her last year to a psychology program manager for the district. Dr. Coleman King completed a postgraduate fellowship with the Washington chapter of the New York Freudian Society and is a professional member of the American Psychological Association as well as the Association for Black Psychologists. 
She has been invited to speak on numerous health panels and has appeared in local and national media outlets, including television, newspaper, and magazines, and has recently been asked to become a regular guest on Skyline 360, a weekly radio program on WVLS Radio. Dr. Coleman King, welcome to the Brown Bag. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's great to have you on. Wow, reading that bio, I, I tell you, there's a, you've certainly uh, been putting a lot of work in. <laughs> yeah, it's a labor of love for sure. <laughs> no doubt about it. We're so glad to have you on today and have you uh, partnering with Dr. Brown. We heard, we, we, we heard the bio, but I want to learn a little bit more about the lady behind the bio. Tell us a little bit about yourself, um, your upbringing, uh, and how it led you to this career path. Okay, uh, let's see. Uh, let's see, I come from a, a large family, and most of my life I had an interest in becoming a doctor, actually a physician. Mm. And um, my parents certainly tried to nurture that interest. But at the same time, I also um, had a strong interest in the arts. So I actually attended a um, school for the arts in high school. And so I danced all of my life. And so I had decided wow. I wanted to become a dancing doctor. <laughs> but once I got to college, my parents said, oh, no, 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 dancing is your hobby. <laughs> what is, like, your career? <laughs> yeah. So although I had dreams of going to New York and auditioning for Juilliard, I was um, encouraged to start undergrad as a zoology major. So I was pre-med. But my interest in psychology came from taking an intro to psych class, not until my junior year, but I fell in love with psychology. Um, I sat wow. in the front row. I came to school, I mean, to the lecture hall early so I could, you know, have a few questions with the professor before or after class. Like, I was mm -hmm. upset. And, of course, I diagnosed myself, my family, my friends. <laughs> but, you know, one thing that I know about myself, all of my life, my friends have seen me as a confidant like I used to have like meet people once and they would just start divulging all of this very private information and I'm such a people person that I would totally be into it so I think I have a natural proclivity for people and listening to people and connecting with people and I didn't really realize what that meant I mean I wanted to do um, surgery or become a pediatrician but when I took that psychology course I just, I knew that was for me. So I'm very passionate about people and listening to them and helping them and loving them. So it's, it feels really yeah. natural to me. So I see, that's I a see. little bit about me. <laughs> yeah, and let me ask you, where are you from? And tell us a little bit about uh, the atmosphere you grew up in. Wow, okay. Uh, you're getting really personal here. Let's see. I am from the let, East let's, Coast. Let's get going. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I and when I say atmosphere, kind of and when I say atmosphere, I don't mean necessarily okay. in your home. I mean, you know, location. I am from an yeah. urban city. Okay. I'm from the city that we're in. I'm a Washingtonian. Gotcha. Um, okay. Yeah, and I'm the youngest of four children. Uh, my siblings are all. Let's see. I have one brother who's a physician. I have a sister who's an attorney, and I have another sister who is an actor slash filmmaker slash director. She's in New York doing her thing. She has okay. been always. So um, we have the arts in our family, you know, the whole gamut. So, And yeah. both of my parents are educators. So okay. education was very much the focus in I'm our home. I'm glad you were able to so. talk about where you're from because I think that adds a certain, a, a certain amount of credibility for what you do now working in the same area that you grew up in. Can you talk a little What's bit about... What's hilarious, though? Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean to. No, no, off. no. So, yeah, I, I want to hear what you have to say. Also, I just wanted to kind of mm -hmm. touch base to what has it been like to serve in the same area that you grew up in? That's a good question. Um, D.C. is a very kind of unique place. Um, I'm, all of my life, people did not believe I was from D.C., even when I was a little girl, you know, <laughs> going to D.C. public school. They'd be like, where are you from? So I certainly had to code switch 
I don't know how how better to say that. Like, for example, I did Maribel Youth Leadership Program when I was 14. It's a guaranteed summer job to all adolescents who want to work. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, children from all over the city, we would come together on university campuses and stay overnight. I mean, it was fantastic. But wow. most of my friends, you know, we were from, um, I guess, Ward 4. But um, other areas of the city, it's just like two different worlds. So my whole life there, I have been very aware of the dichotomy, I guess, around um, opportunity, class, um, you know. So yeah. D.C. Is a, is, a, is a black city, you know, majority mm-hmm. black city, but it's you can grow up in so many different pockets of the city where, I mean, it's just like two different worlds. And the type yeah. of work that I do now um, and having worked for D.C. public schools, I had an opportunity to kind of see what the differences are like. You know, I was placed at Key Elementary, which is almost in Potomac, Maryland. It's like on the border of D.C., and mm-hmm. it's almost exclusively Caucasian children. And I was also placed in southeast, you know, at Johnson Junior High or, you know, where it's like 99.99% African-American children and just seeing those resources. So I certainly have to always take context in consideration when I'm servicing children, adults, or, you know, whatever. So I definitely have to have skill sets that are appropriate and applicable to the population I'm working with. Yeah, excellent, excellent. And I want to get Dr. Brown on here shortly. But before I bring him on, I wanted to ask you, just talk about your work. I I can only imagine um, some of the situations and um, people that you've been able to work with uh, throughout the years. Just talk a little bit about uh, what you do. Okay. Um, I feel like my job is, like, constantly in transition. So I do a lot of different things. The thing that I love almost, I'm going to say the most, is treating couples. That's like mm-hmm. my favorite thing. Um, mm-hmm. And I have been doing um, postdoctorate training to get a certification in couples therapy through the Imago Institute, which was started by Harville Hendricks. So, okay. And he's based in New York. He's a professor um, at a New York City University. and um, But it's a multi-year kind of postdoc training that I've been working towards. It's fantastic. But So that's my passion, working with couples. I um, see them either in the week, I mean, sorry, in the evenings or on the weekend, and so have you. So that's one part of what I do. But another large component is testing, where um, although I don't work for D.C. public schools any longer, I do have contracts to provide testing services for D.C. public charter schools. And in that work, I am brought in um, to sit on a team in the school to kind of help parents and teachers understand children's functioning, whether that be, um, you know, exemplary where they might need to be fast-tracked or skipped ahead because they're bored and they're so bright that the school is not meeting their needs on that end of the spectrum, or if they're falling behind, um, they're having behavioral issues, emotional issues, and things like that. So the psychological testing that we do here at Psychological Group of Washington really helps um, schools and families um, set children on the right directories, I mean um, trajectory, sorry, um, to make sure that they're meeting their needs. So that is a really large um, component of what I do every week. Awesome, awesome. There's so much I wanted to get into um, with, with you and Dr. Brown. I want to go ahead and bring him on. Uh, mm-hmm. Michael Fordham, will you go ahead and introduce Dr. Brown for us, please? Andre L. Brown, Ph.D., is a tenured associate professor and clinical coordinator of the Marriage, Couples, and Family Therapy Program at Lewis and Clark College, co-director of Affinity Counseling Group, and research fellow for the Council on Contemporary Families. Dr. Brown earned his B.S. in psychology at Elizabeth City State University in North Carolina, his master's in education and school counseling at the University of Maryland Eastern Shore, and his Ph.D. in marriage and family therapy at Seton Hall University in New Jersey. He is also licensed as a marriage and family therapist in Oregon. Dr. Brown's research agenda focuses on the development of treatment models that use the supportive structures of families, schools, and communities to address trauma, violence, and substance abuse. Research and clinical interests also include resilience of street life-oriented black men, the psychological development of adolescents living in the urban context, contemporary family structures, 
infidelity, liberation psychology, and cultural equality in service provisions. Dr. Brown holds several grants to develop and implement re-entry and restorative justice services for youth and families involved in the justice system. In addition to teaching and training, Dr. Brown's work includes engaging community members, advocates, mental health providers, municipalities, and various institutions to utilize the resilience that exists within individuals, families, and communities to bolster their mental health and wellness. Dr. Andre L. Brown, my brother, welcome to the Brown Bag. Dr. Brown, are you there? Okay, we might be having some problems with Dr. Brown. Uh, Dr. Coleman King, you still on standby? I am. Okay, okay. While we're working on getting Dr. Brown on, um, I did want to ask you, um, let's jump into some of the issues that, uh, that people are facing. Let, let's talk about anxiety and stress. What do you think contributes most to our stress, and how can therapy assist us? Wow. Um, I would say in the last few years, the economy has been a large contributor to stress amongst most folks here on the globe. Um, And that's related to whether having employment um, or feeling compensated um, adequately for employment, being able to manage your financial responsibilities, whether they be student loans um, or other types of debt, that adults accrue over their lifetime. Um, So I would say for anxiety and stress, financial issues and and the like, especially things like retirement, um, the ending of traditional pension plans, um, and the responsibility. Just hold tight, Andre, okay? Okay. Okay, keep going, Dr. King. Sure, sure. And the responsibility that most Americans now have for planning their own retirement is huge. You know, the days right. of working for Ford or like my family, my family is originally from Michigan. And so, you know, working for one company for 30 yeah. years and then retiring and being taken care of, that's a thing of the past. So I would say financial stress, but of course there's things like work-life balance, um, relationship yeah. stress, um raising your children, making sure they're healthy. If you have any issues with your children, that becomes a new stressor. So, I mean, there's so many reasons that create anxiety and stress in people's lives. It's, it's you know, unfortunately yeah. a lot. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, you, you touch on something so key, the economy and just the stress that mm-hmm. people are under. And, Dr. Brown, I know mm-hmm. you've been um, – uh, I know you've been standing by listening and glad you were able to, to patch in. Uh, yes. We just he- heard your bio. We're going to jump into some hit, some issues that we really want to address. But before we do that, let our listeners know a little bit about you, uh, your upbringing, and how it led you to the work that you do now. All right. Um, yeah, no, I'm um, – well, thank you for having me on. Um, well, I'm, I'm originally from North Carolina. Um, it's uh, one of seven kids. Uh, both my parents were ministers and also had um, other jobs. Um, grew up in, like I said, between North Carolina and then uh, New York until I was 12 and then moved back to North Carolina. So a lot of my experience has been up and down the East Coast and being able to um, view families from a lot of different perspectives and also through the church. Um, that was one of the things that I always think about what led me to doing this work. And one, one answer is I, I was supposed to be an engineer, and my money was funny. Yeah. So I had changed schools. And the school I went to didn't have an engineering program, so I went to a psych class, and I said, well, this might be the, might be the move. Yeah. And that was kind of, that's one line of it. The other line is I was always, you know, witnessing and being mentored and, and viewing people go through a lot of different issues and, you know, struggles and successes and um, seeing how that played out in real time with, with church folks and, and schools and in the neighborhoods I was growing up in and then kind of wanting to be in a position to understand it and then be better able to help people to transition through some of those changes. And then also looking at my own life, and I, I remember having um, you know, a conversation with myself when I was in college. It was like, wow, I'm, I'm in college, but a lot of my friends that I grew up with aren't. Right. You know, somewhere you know, in jail or dead or um, just not doing well. And I was like, what's the difference between me and them? And I knew it wasn't anything special about me. Um, so then it's kind of like, well, there's choices that people make and there's situations that may occur and family structures and just opportunities. And I wanted to better understand how that process became for how a person got somewhere. And that's one thing I always look at is if I'm seeing someone in the NBA or, you know, a mayor or, 
you know, uh, someone that's homeless, part of my, my mentality is like, what got you to this point? You know, what mm-hmm. makes you who you are and how did this happen? What, you know, positive and negative. And knowing that, you know, it's not like our, our outcomes are always in a positive or negative, but it's the kind of situation where you find yourself. So really having that curiosity and then being placed in opportunities, you know, with mentors and teachers and, you know, family members um, that encouraged me to be able to, you know, pursue my, my education and then just kind of try to make sure my, I'm in a position that I can help other people. So that's kind yeah, of how I, pre- I got to where I am. No, I appreciate you sharing that. And Dr. Coleman King shared earlier um, about some of the stress that people are under definitely, you know, in the backdrop of our economy and just, uh, you know, everything that's associated with that. And it doesn't take, it doesn't take uh, a lot of effort, you know. You turn on the nightly news now, and, and in many ways, is it news? It, it, you know, with, with so much going on, so much stress and, and violence that, that people um, face on a day-to-day basis, uh, talk a little bit about the work you're doing out in Los Angeles. Um, and, and some of the work surrounding that violence prevention. What are you seeing happen? And um, just discuss that a little bit. Well, um, one, of the, one of the projects I'm a part of is um, it's called the Gang Reduction Youth Development Program, and that's um, out of the mayor's office in Los Angeles. And I'm, I've been blessed to be with the team of um, professionals who work for the city, who administer the grants, and also with a lot of the service providers. So they break up Los Angeles into 12 um, zones. Um, they call them grid zones. And they're, they break up um, different quadrants of the city. And so there's a, 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 a agency that's located in each one of those zones, and they do prevention um, and intervention-related programming for gangs. And so the intervention is working with um, gang members who are already – people who are in gangs. They could be um, from – youth to a young adults, and then prevention is to try to deter uh, individuals from joining gangs. And so they're younger. They're mostly school-aged. And so the project works with their families and the um, targeted person, the, the gang member or the potential gang person, to, to uh, really look at their family structure, look at the political systems that they're embedded in, the um, communities where they're from, and, and begin to see if we can make changes. Uh, to their lifestyles and help them make become more fulfilled citizens, meaning whether they want to pursue education, jobs, families, whatever it is they want to do, the program is designed to help support that. And the, the, the great thing about it is that it's one of, the, um, one of the best models in the country and actually in the world where it actually looks at all the different factors that influence violence. And so, again, it has, has a historical context, looks at the contemporary issues, looks at the history of gangs, looks at the evolution of families, very specific towards culture. And so I'm, I'm in a position where I go in um, and I provide training to this, the grid office staff as well as the community partners to help them better understand their program and also help them implement the model in a real way so that it really has an impact on the families and the communities. And so it's, a, it's the first time I've actually been able to work in a uh, – well, not really the first time. It's one of the, the most involved I've been having a direct impact on um, a community at such a large scale where a lot of the things that we're doing, um, it's, and it's a mutual, they're, they have great service providers who are, you know, work tirelessly. Some of these folks have been doing it for 20, 30 years and um, have a lot of insight, a lot of expertise. Um, some have been involved in street life in their own way, in their families or themselves. And so it's really an opportunity for us to um, collaborate and develop um, strategies to really help folks um, make, make changes and transitions and increase the quality of life for their families and their communities. Right. Excellent, excellent. Dr. Coleman King, um, mm-hmm. what would you say to that person who's, who may be listening, one of our listeners today, who find themselves uh, overwhelmed, possibly depressed? Uh, they know they need help, but maybe there's a little stigma attached to, you know, if I go to a therapist, if I reach out to a counselor, what would you say to that person who, who might need help, but they're sitting on the sidelines? Well, unfortunately, um, there is a lot of stigma associated with mental health care and um, seeking out help. But I would say that, you know, therapy is for everyone, you know, Mm. from your most high-functioning CEO to, you know, someone who may have hit rock bottom. 
what happens in therapy is you have a non-judgmental, unbiased person who is going to listen to you yeah. and be able to, you know, help reflect on some decisions that you've already made or that you need to make. Or if it's just, you know, getting some suggestions about how you might be able to take care of yourself. Yeah. Um, as as a therapist, you know, and, and I'll speak for, like, you know, other counselors out here, what we want is for someone to feel like they've learned how to cope with stress because, you know, stress is for everybody. Everybody that's right. has that's stress. That's right. You know, and so it's all about how do you cope with it? How resilient are you when you're faced with one of the major life stressors like, you know, death or loss or um, unfortunately violence or, you know, some other kind of traumatic event? We all have to learn to cope. And so our job as counselors and therapists is to help you develop a, a good skill set to know how to manage that. Yeah. And, you know, that, that's the point. It's not to label you or to make you feel like, they're like quote, unquote, you're crazy. I hate that term. You know, so anytime I right. have a client who may refer to themselves in a term such as that, you know, I really try to change the, the vocabulary and the language that we use to describe ourselves, right? Yeah. So it's it's really important that we develop compassion for ourselves so we're not so yeah. self-critical about some of the choices we made. And so that's the point of counseling is to support you in making change and feeling better. Find compassion for yourself. That's tweetable right there. I like that. I like that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Dr. Brown, uh, speak to the men out there today. Let's face it, uh, in, in many segments of life, uh, men are struggling, they're hurting, and oftentimes they suffer in silence. What would you say to that man who's out there uh, who might be suffering in silence and it's affecting, you know, other areas of their life? Talk a little bit about the need for mental health and, and, the, and the need for resilience. Um, I think, um, yeah, I do think there are a lot of men that are suffering in silence. Um, I think there's a lot of, you know, men and women and kids, you know. That's um, right. And I think that a, a lot of times with men, is interesting because we'll talk to our – so I think it's two things that are very critical to think about men. One is a myth that men don't talk, and two is a, is a myth that men don't want help. Um, because we would talk to each other, we would talk to our friends, we would talk to our colleagues, we would talk to a guy on the basketball court, and we'll have these conversations, but we may not um, go into the depth that we need to in order to get that change to occur. And so, you know, we one of the things that we have to do is, is create the opportunity for men to say, hey, you know, this is a place that's safe and comfortable for you to be able to um, express yourself and to, you know, lay down whatever baggage it is or the myths that we even keep for ourselves. So sometimes the, the myths that we have are, you know, internal, as um, Dr. King, Coleman King was just saying. You know, we, we could think that men don't talk or we don't talk. We really, you look at it, we, we talk all the time. We, we want to get help. We want support. And so one of the things I always talk to men about is saying, you know, if you messed up, go get it fixed. If your car is broke, you get it fixed. If your, you know, if your, you know, TV's messed up, you're not going to sit here and watch a TV with no cable on it. You're going to call the cable company. So when you're off or a little bit, you know, um, not where you want to be, then you need to take responsibility. And if you really say you're a man, then being a man means taking responsibility for your actions, which means going out and taking care of yourself. One of, the, one of the things that my therapist told me one time was kind of the, I don't know, it was kind of the coldest, brilliant thing he said. I was telling him about a lot of stuff I was going through, like all the life stresses that uh, Dr. King and you all talked about. He was like, yo, man, that's kind of messed up. I'm like, well, thanks, Doc. You know, that's the best you got? Like, really? You know, right, and, I, right. and really, he's like, no, it is. It's messed up. Yeah. What you going like, to do? You know, mm -hmm. and there's nothing you can do about it right now. It's just a matter of keeping you straight and making sure you sound right. And he, you know, he was, then he started saying, you sound okay. You don't sound like you're tripping. You don't sound like you're, you know, crazy or you're off. So it's just a matter of time before you work through all these, these different um, life stressors. And so I'm like, all right, that's cool. You know, and that's all I really needed at the time was to make sure I wasn't going crazy. You know, mm. um, you know and, and going crazy in the psychological, in the real way of it, like literally. Mm -hmm. um, so you want to make Can sure, I, so, so part of it is just saying and making it so plain and real to people that this is what life is. Everybody needs support. Uh, Dr. Coleman King said, CEOs of corporations, there's nobody at any high level that doesn't have a confidant, a, a, a life coach, some type of mentor that they can support. 
that supports them in their work. So we have to take advantage of the, the folks we have. And I think one of the um, the other key things is, you know, make sure you find someone that understands you. I think one of the problems in our community is that there's a lot of people that um, provide services to black and African-American populations um, and other um, ethnic minority groups, but really don't have an understanding of the nuances um, of that of that experience. And so you're going to someone and you're not getting the help you think you deserve. And you're probably you're probably right when you when you assess that someone doesn't understand you. So then it's a matter of going to find someone that that does because people are out there. And um, I think that's one right. thing that you know I think even me and Dr. King partnering and, and some of our other colleagues is really having folks that really understand this population and spend our life not only from my own experience but studying it, thinking about it, writing about it, researching it, um, and living it. You know where we say we can we feel confident that we can either understand or help you understand we can begin to understand or decode some of these things together yeah and dr coleman king it's not were you trying to get in did you want to follow up with that i did um but dr brown he's added so much more i don't want to go back too far but okay. in reference to the comment that he received regarding you know that's messed up you know part of what our role is is to be that sounding board or mm -hmm. provide reality testing and so it's really nice when something has happened to you and you come into someone who's objective and supportive of you and they say no you're not crazy what's happening right. to you is right. crazy your situation is overwhelming and you should feel stressed like right. you know not that we want to promote someone um, feeling negatively but sometimes it's nice to say it's not you you know, the situation would be overwhelming for anyone. And so then the person can kind of decompress because they're saying, oh, okay, so I should be feeling the way I'm feeling because it's stressful to go through either a promotion yeah. right or to get fired. Like any shift in your typical, you know, homeostasis, let's say even if you're going through separation or divorce or even getting married, like it doesn't mm -hmm. matter what phase of a relationship you're going through, anytime it's a change, it's going to be stressful. So right. it's nice when you can come in and have somebody to bounce that off of and then, you know, just as Dr. Brown mentioned, that was supportive for him to hear, you know, no, it's messed up. He yeah. was like, oh, okay, good. You can kind of take a deep breath. Oh, okay, cool. I thought it was me. It's not mm -hmm. me, you know. And so I, I really like that he used that as an example. So that's what I was going to chime in. But he also added in reference to being culturally sensitive or, um, you know, seeing someone who uh, has training or experience in working with diverse populations. I can't agree more that that is so important. We frequently get calls, you know, asking, I'm looking for a therapist of color or even gender. You know, I'm looking for a female or a male therapist for my son or for myself, you know, based on the client's um, gender. So it is important that you find the right match. And if I can do a quick plug, something that my business partner, Dr. Catherine Marshall Woods, and myself came up with a few years back um, was this um, – a notion of speed therapy where, you know, in one day you can meet quickly with five different therapists for a few minutes oh, wow. and decide, is this someone who I can vibe with? You know, because over Good. the phone they seem cool, but when I got there they were this, that, and the other or whatever. Right. And so, you know, a lot of times people spend lots of money and lots of time mm -hmm. trying to find a good match. So right. we thought this was a problem we could solve by offering the public an opportunity to meet quickly with someone. You know, your first impression, is this somebody who I could trust, who I feel like I could talk, you know, all my deepest, darkest secrets with, you right. know. So that's an, that's the purpose of our speed therapy events. And um, it's, it's to, like Dr. Brown was mentioning, get that good sense because the work is so important. So it's, right. it's, it's important to be honest when you show up for therapy, you know, you know, you don't mm -hmm. want to waste your time. You know, so I can't. I couldn't agree more that the match with your therapist right. is really important. And, and y'all are y'all y'all are preaching today. I'm telling you, y'all are preaching today, and I believe you're helping people. And, and Michael Fordham, uh, in mess, he he sent me a, a message uh, with a question here that I want to to present to you to you both, and I will have him come in after you guys follow up. And and the, what he what he uh, instant messaged me was he talked about how mental illness is at an all time high. Um, and he, he was wondering what has changed in modern society. And we know mental illness is at an all-time high, but at the same time, it's not new. I think about right. the movie, um, what was it? Uh, I think it was Soul Food. Remember there was the uncle who lived up in the room in the attic? Right. And right. he didn't come out? Uh, <laughs> and 
maybe back in the day we didn't call it depression. It was just the uncle who might be a little bit off, you know, or, or the, the, the family member who you didn't invite to the, to the family reunion because there were issues there. So we know in society, I mean, I, as a school counselor, I see it day in and day out. I constantly have to refer students to see, you know, a therapist outside of school, and we see some of the stress that our young people in particular are under. Uh, right. it, it's really staggering. So, so to both of you, what do you see going on um, out in society and, and some ways we can address mental illness? Dr. Brown, you can jump in on that. Well, I think, um, I think your analogy is, is right on point. It's always been here. Um, it is increasing the – well, two things. One, I think the number of referrals that are coming out, people are being more understanding and saying right. this is Which not is just thing. somebody being bad or this is not just my crazy uncle or right. my niece that's a little weird. They're actually saying, okay, there might be something here. So the more educated we become about a particular um, content area and the, and the more the stigma is reduced, then the more likely that people are going to go and get those services. I think the other thing is that, you know, um, from a larger systemic perspective, the, a lot of the protections that we had years ago aren't in place. And so when it takes, for example, um, if, if you experience your first death at 21, say your grandmother dies, you've had a, you had 21 years to prepare for that type of um, trauma to occur, to occur. If right. you had your first death at the age of four because your, your mother died because of gangs or, or drugs or some other type of unnatural occurrence, then you weren't equipped to handle that type of trauma that early in life. So when we move, we move the hedges around our, our young people, around our families, as y'all were talking earlier about the economic instability in, in the world, those things that we were prepared for and had time to move into a natural transition are now occurring a lot earlier. And for some communities, those things occur instantly. You know, so you look at, you know, um, so, yeah, and we can look at specific communities where we grew up in a society. We grow, they grew up with all these things right there at their fingertips, and they've never had a chance to evolve into it. Um, and so we, it's a combination of both those things, the outside influences plus people better understanding it, and also us just um, and even looking at the prison industrial complex. You know, you all, everything is linked together. When you have communities where there's no, uh, there's a whole generation of support taken out, men, male and female, across the black and Latino and poor white communities, that means that the person that would tell you, hey, man, this is how you get through this, or, hey, look, look, lady, you know, I did the same thing with my boyfriend, but this is what you have to do, that's gone. And so then mm-hmm. there's this vacuum, and so people are figuring out things without the support, and there's a system that's waiting to catch you or trap you into being removed from your community. So all these things are impacting us, but the good news is that, you know, we people are resilient and people have been negotiating these things, and we're more sophisticated um, now than we ever, we've ever been with resources, technology, Internet, um, innovative ideas, you know, yeah. that, that will allow us to uh, negotiate these things. And the more we talk and the more we communicate and the more our churches become um, involved in understanding, you know, mental health and spiritual health and wellness, then we'll, we'll be able to address these issues. But it's, it's, very, it's a simple answer and a complex answer, um, but the, the um, assessment or the, what we're seeing is what the, 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 the text um, indicate is actually happening. Yeah. And, and Dr. Coleman King, you might want to jump in on this, uh, but, but Michael Forum, I know you, you posed that question. Did you, did you get what you needed there? What are your thoughts? Yeah, yeah, and he did explain a lot about, um, you know, I think what the underlying issues are that that are causing people to sort of um, lose their balance in today's society. Um, But, you know, we're also very heavily medicated now, and and I think that the medication um, is this um, catch-all for a lot of what people are seeing where they actually need a a lot more time in therapy. They really need, just as... um, Dr. Coleman King said um, a, a partnership with someone that can really help them through these situations. They have to get to the point where I guess they begin to vent and understand these things from a different perspective. And um, this is really missing. I don't know if it's the fact that we're not as connected as we were before to friends and family or what is it uh, that's really missing from society that leaves people – I mean, everything to mass road rage, to someone going off in McDonald's, to, you know, someone grabbing a gun and shooting up a post office or a a facility somewhere, you know, at their job. It's just 
unbelievable. And I don't know if it's more that we just have more access to these types of stories now because of world news or whether people really are starting to break down. Dr. Coleman King? Well, I I definitely agree that the answer to that question is very complex. Um, I think just like, you know, other statistics that suggest, you know, cancer, um, the incidence of cancer has increased, we're just better at um, diagnosing and identifying mental illness. Um, You know, as our universities and research institutes and so forth grow and fund mental health research, we're better able to delineate, you know, what, is going on, you know, so the uncle who stayed in the attic for 30 years previously was, you know, he never was diagnosed or got treatment or anything mm-hmm, like that. But mm-hmm. now, you know, we, we are so much better at attending to when there is a problem. So that's, I believe, you know, part of why it seems mental illness is on the rise. But I also think it, it's complicated by, as um, my, as another Michael, Michael sorry, Ford. boredom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Michael Fordham just mentioned access to the media, you know, yes. so sometimes it seems like there's more violence, you know, in the schools right. or, and so forth. And so, no, it, it's not always that, you know, right. sometimes it's just, you know, the way the media may play. Like you may believe you're, you're more likely to fall out of the sky in an airplane because of the tragedy that just occurred, right. you know, right. because we've been hearing about it for 40 days straight. You know, but actually it's still safer to fly than to drive, you know. So some of it is complicated by access to information, but I think, of course, Mm -hmm. having access to information is essential. You know, technology is is good, but it's complicated. But I also wanted to touch on um, Dr. Brown's comment in reference to the prison industrial complex and poverty in education. You know, one thing that really hit me a few months ago um, when I spoke with the CEO of Universal Health, I hope I'm um, quoting his company correctly, nonetheless, he told me that he met some investors um, who actually study where to build prisons, where to invest in prisons based on the school system. So if the children are performing one to two grade levels in reading and mathematics by third grade below, he knows he can build a prison and make lots of money off of that wow. those children. Because guess what? It's it's from school to prison for these young people. And that, to me, is the biggest tragedy. So the disparity in resources and education and funding and getting good teachers, dedicated staff to um, fight against some of the complex things that are happening, that happen in poverty, is so essential. But, you know, at the same time, I just met with a mother yesterday until 6.30 p.m. She is raising her, it's actually her great niece because she was born addicted to PCP. The child right now is only 11 years old. And the mother from birth has said she's had full, full custody of the child since she was two. But she has resisted any psychotropic medication up until this point because, as most people, it's very stigmatized. I don't Mm want to need meds. If I take antipsychotics or antidepressants, that means I'm crazy. Talk a little bit about that, Dr. King. Talk a little bit about the medicine. I want to talk about it. Yeah. I do because sometimes just coming to see somebody like myself or Dr. Brown, sometimes that's not enough. Because when you're, Uh, for example, hearing voices or you can't sleep, can I just tell you, if you don't sleep for three days, you may not. You may not know your name. They did some right. research on this. They asked these people, what is your name? And they hesitated because they right. had not slept for 72 hours. That's torture. Right. So your brain and we're not talking about should. throwing pills at people. We're not talking about that, yeah. just throwing pills at problems. We, we, we no. Know, you know, we're not talking about that. Right. It's a neurochemical imbalance, too much right. serotonin, not enough norepinephrine. Sometimes you need a medication to help bring that balance to support you I so see. that you I can see. sleep, so you can rest. So that you can think, I mean, this is why for my clients who refuse a psychiatry consult, because, of course, I do not um, prescribe medication, but I work with psychiatrists who do. And so sometimes they refuse, you know, and, but their depressive symptoms are so overwhelming. You know, they're not, they're not able to focus. They can't concentrate. They're not sleeping. They're having crying spells. You know, when, when the symptoms are debilitating, meaning they're impacting your social life, your um, work and professional life, I, you know, and it's been going on for three months, you know, that would break anybody down. So at that point, and they still refuse meds, I'll say, well, then you must work out. 
you know, so this is one oh, old, this is one other way that I know that we can change the neurochemical balance of your brain is to um, secrete more endorphins, which bring you know more positive mood to someone. But they've got to get their heart rate up a minimum of thirty minutes, a minimum of three days a week. And when I say heart rate up, I don't mean just take the metro and walk to work. No, you have to be on a treadmill or walking so briskly that you can talk, but you don't want to talk. You know, right. so there are ways to change the chemical balance of the brain. But, I mean, and I was in my schooling very much influenced by the anti, you know, medication complex. But now that I've been, you know, working professionally, there are cases where sometimes talk therapy is not enough. I see. I see. And, and I appreciate you pointing that out. And you talked mm-hmm. earlier about finding the right therapist. You know, I talk to people and they say, you know, I say, well, you thought about seeking, you know, counseling outside, you know, maybe of, you know, a school or, or where you are. And they'll say, mm-hmm. uh, I tried it, but I didn't like my therapist. You know, it just it wasn't mm-hmm. the right connection. Uh, I'm a firm believer. Finding the right therapist who gets it, you know, and who is, who is supportive and can be encouraged and can make a tremendous difference. Dr. Brown, talk a little bit about that, uh, you know, finding that right person. And also what I've noticed in speaking with people, you know, as as a school counselor, um, once they disclaim or or put out there that they're a person of faith or they believe, and that's why I was so encouraged to look on uh, Dr. Coleman King's website, and it has a spiritual component. And I know this is something that, that both of you hold near and dear. Talk a little bit about finding the right therapist who might even get your your who, who might even understand you from a, a spiritual perspective i think that's important i think i think whenever people say that i always I always think uh two thoughts one was the therapist able to connect and two did you just not want to be in therapy you wasn't ready right. but i have a lot of people that'll say you know um i didn't find the right therapist and that's because the therapist told you you realize the therapist is going to tell you to stop that it might not be cool to cheat on your wife mm-hmm. so that's the wrong therapist or the therapist mm-hmm. might say, hey, you know what, you know, um, I take a position around nonviolence, and you're doing something that's violent, but therefore at some point we're going to get to the um, realization that this thing has to change. And so right. it's, it's always a matter of, of really decoding what that message means. Is it Was it there was a lack of connection? Because right. you're not going to be connected to everybody. You know, you're not going to be connected to your, your, your doctor. Um, you're and let's face it, too, in every as, as if you're going to go hang out, you know. Right, and but you need somebody that's qualified, competent. Some are better than others. Yes, yeah, some are better. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. there's, a, there's, a, there's, also, there's also that discernment of are you getting the highest quality of care. So it's a, it's a balance between the two of those. You know, um, so I think it's, you, you do have to be able to, because, I, I, I mean, I've had therapists that I've, I could have said I didn't like the therapist, but the therapist is great. And I didn't like mm-hmm. it because ther- well, I don't like therapy personally. Personally, I hate therapy. <laughs> therapy is hard. It's difficult. It's stressful. It drains me. It makes me challenge myself. It's horrible. But it's something I have to do, something that's necessary, something that I must do in order to maintain the level of functioning that I need in this world. So because something is not likable and it's difficult, you know, um, doesn't mean that it's not good for you and it's not what you need. So, like, so my personal endorsement for therapy is that it's horrible, but you better do it. You should do it if you want to work, if you want to get your life right. So it's mm-hmm. kind of one of those, those things. And even with the spirituality component, you know, you, you, we're working with folks that have a, multiple spiritual practices. I mean, right, right. most people are figuring out their spirituality. So even when people say they don't understand my religion, then that may be true. Mm-hmm. But it also means that it's a good therapist or a good therapeutic process is also going to help you um, deconstruct and challenge your own religious beliefs. I know a lot of things that, that I believed growing up or I was taught or heard about spiritually are a lot mm-hmm. of the things that kept me in not so healthy mental places, mm. right? So the notion of if I sin and do something wrong, I'm going to die tomorrow and burn in hell <laughs> is, a real, is a real thought, you know, yeah. and that's something I live with. So I'd be praying, I used to pray ahead of time for the stuff I was about to do. So is that healthy functioning? I don't know. It helped me get to where I am, so it worked. You know, fear and guilt has its place in the world, I guess. But at the same time, I also had to say, okay, you know what? There's a range of the, the God I understand now is not the God I understood when I was 10 years old. Mm. And so I've evolved in understanding those things. I've been challenged to think about things and, and around my own positions. Even when people say stuff around, you know, one of the, one of the first things that, that church folks say when they go to therapists is like, it's a, you might come around homosexuality. 
Right. You know, people say, well, my therapist supports, he he supports homosexuality. He's like, I don't know if he supports it, whatever it is. But at the same time, your family supports it because we have people in our families that we didn't stone to death because right. they were gay. So right. you, you actually do have a tolerance for things, but we need to better understand it. So a lot of times we have to, when we, and we come to a professional realm, you do need someone that, that can understand your spiritual practice or are familiar with it. But even in, if you say I'm a Christian or I'm Baptist, there's a thousand different iterations of, Bap, of, of Baptist churches, and that's depending on each particular member because right. no one in the church practices exactly what the preacher says. So mm. there's this range that we have to kind of understand, but you have to have people that are open to understanding it. For even, for example, if someone says, you know, Dr. King, uh, Coleman King mentioned, you know, hearing voices. If you go in and say, you know, I had my, my, my grandmother came to me last night and she told me to, to make sure tomorrow I do this, this, and this. Someone could say you're schizophrenic because you had a conversation with a dead grandmother. In the spiritual world, that could be a vision or you actually have this connection to that world where people speak to us. So it's important yeah. to have someone that can understand both of those. But if your grandmother right. said go kill somebody, right, that that same uh, one one parad- one understanding may not fit the total context of what the the storyline is. So that's yeah. where professional skill comes in. So you can't you can't just dismiss everything off as a spiritual connection. It may right. also be some other underlying issues that are going on. And right, so I and think that's why having you know trained professionals are are able to distinguish those things and work um, work accordingly. Right, and and finding people that you know that might not necessarily believe the way you believe, but can respect and value you know what you bring to the table, your belief system. Doctor Doctor Coleman King, I want yeah, and 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 I'm a firm believer in this. You know, uh, a counselor can help you sort things out, can give you strategies, but I'm a firm believer that only God can bring the healing. You know, a surgeon can can sew you up and do what he needs to do medically. But I believe only God is the one that can actually make the heart beat. Dr. Coleman King, talk a little bit about what you're seeing, um, you know, in, in working with people and in valuing and, and, and how they bring their spiritual beliefs to the table. How do you navigate that? Well, I think my perspective is that spirituality really does connect to how people find meaning and comfort and inner peace in their life. And I think essentially that is what everybody is seeking. And how you get to that point, whether it's a faith in God or Christ or just, you know, being connected to nature, you know, everybody may have a different path to connect to their own spirituality, but what we know is that it's essential for that sense of what I think is contentment that's deeper than, let's say, happiness or something. So we're all kind of seeking this contentment, and what we know research says is that those who do practice a spiritual, you know, ritual um, and have faith, are healthier. They have another buffer against coping with the everyday stressors. Dr. Brown mentioned praying every day before he's making a decision. You know, prayer works. The faith that you absolutely. have in a prayer, it absolutely works. So if you have faith in, in a higher being and you pray and, and you believe that you're sustained by something bigger than yourself, when you're faced with adversity, you're going to manage that adversity much better than someone who has who believes everything that goes wrong in their life is because of them you know so that's kind of a a big burden to carry you know so whatever the faith or religious belief of my client is i kind of go with them right you know wherever that is and so it doesn't matter what my faith is you know per se but just being able to support them in having some connection to their mind to their body to their spirit all of that is essential in you know wholeness and and being well so i guess i hope that answers i don't even remember i hope that answers the question (laughs) that's good that's good and uh i believe you all are helping a lot of people today and and that maybe that person is on the sideline who's you know thinking about counseling maybe they'll they'll take that leap And, and interest and it's interesting too in many ways you talked about it earlier dr brown how uh mental health is being uh, some of the stigmas are being broken through. I mean, it, it's fascinating. People will tell you real quick, oh, I'm about to go see my therapist. You know, right. <laughs> you know, you know, you, girl, you need to get you a therapist. You know? and, and I learned early on, you know, in, in, when I was in grad school, they said every counselor needs a counselor. And I tell you, that is, that is so important. 
Dr. King, uh, how can people get in contact with you? Uh, and and maybe maybe they felt like they they found a person today or an agency <laughs> that might. Go ahead and give yourself a plug. Sure. Okay. Well, thank you for that. You can find me at psychgroupdc.com, and psych is P-S-Y-C-H, groupdc.com, or you can give us a call at 202-223-9844. But if I might add to that, I just want to say I also love therapy, So my and not just as the therapist but as the client. And I probably have seen just under 10 therapists in my life. I'm going to say about wow. eight. But when I got to number eight, I knew she was the one. And mm. so – you may have to break up, quote, unquote, with a therapist. You know, some of my therapists retired, moved away, no longer right. practiced, or I just didn't vibe with them. I had one session, and I was like, this doesn't work. So right. you don't have to, and as a therapist, that happens to me. So it's yeah. not about the therapist taking it personally. It's That's about right. you getting what you're looking for, and it's essential. And I will also say this last plug. My therapist, and I've heard this from other therapists, state if they know a therapist themselves have, has not been through their own, you know, self-discovery and process, they don't get any referrals from colleagues. Wow. So it is a process. It is true. Yes, every therapist needs a therapist. Why? Because every person who walks the earth needs a therapist. I happen to have a mentor who coaches CEOs, some of the most successful people on the planet. He travels around the world doing that. So I know wow. – from the top to the bottom, everybody can benefit from support. There's a therapist, actually, who sits in the White House. I don't hmm. know if y'all knew that, but there is, I happen to know that person just picked up that gig. Once a wow. week, there is a therapist sitting in there for any staff person. Now, I, I, can't, I don't know who's come to see her. Of course, she can't divulge right. that to me. However, it's the truth. Yeah. So yeah. the support is at every level. I don't care how successful you are or any of that. You know, so but I do want to um piggyback also Dr. what Dr. Brown was saying. Yes, yeah, sometimes the sessions are difficult. Sometimes you have to hear, well that was wrong. Yeah. You're being selfish. Right. Uh, that's that's narcissistic of you. You know, and you don't want to hear that. Mm-hmm. But so that makes a session or two difficult, but all in all, I happen to love it. Awesome. Awesome. Dr. Brown, how can people get in contact with you and uh for your services? Well, actually, best the best way is to contact me through the um, site group Washington with uh, Dr. Coleman King. Um, we How just started a, a new relationship. Uh, well, it's an old relationship that's gotten redesigned, and I'll be uh, working <laughs> with her and their uh-huh. that very great team um, now, starting now. So uh, if you want me, you can just reach the same contact information that she just provided. Awesome. We only got about three minutes left here, and if both of you might take just a minute and a half, any parting shots, words of encouragement to our listeners? Dr. Brown, you first. Uh, that's the pressure because she's going to come and she's going to say something really, really special. <laughs> um, she's going to close it so hard, right? She probably got that talk. I just know, I know it's about up, to happen. So, you know? Um, <laughs> um, no, I, I mean, you know, I think that, um, you know, we live in a very complex world, and, you know, one of the things that we really have to work on is slowing things down. And a lot of times we that comes from, you know, walking or, you know, running or exercise or therapy or spiritual practices. And everything that is um, healthy is healthy. And if something that's unhealthy is going to be consistently not healthy. And so one of the things that we, we want to do is really help people put together a program that works for them, that's specific for their needs and their family needs, um, and then that's going to also impact our communities. And if everyone takes that personal responsibility as well as work, you know, with advocacy and other social justice initiatives, then we can really have a, a great impact on our communities and see the changes we want and live a happy, healthier life. You know, it's a it's a great feeling to actually, you know, not just live happy. You know, the song is funny, like Pharrell's song is, you know, I'm happy. It is a huge phenomenon, right? It's probably going to be one of the biggest songs in the history of the world soon. And he's just talking about living in this free space. And there's a lot of work that, that it takes to get to that free space. Yeah, and a lot true. of times people just want to be happy, but happy can also be very fleeting. So we really want to live um, healthy, you know, um, supportive, nurturing, um, loving relationships, you know, yeah, and live in that okay. space. And so if we can get there, then it makes the world a, a much better place. Dr. Coleman King. Don't take your mental and emotional health for granted. Um, you know, work on self-care, find balance, do the things that you know help you feel good about every day. Take a moment, a quiet moment, as frequently as you can um, to self-reflect, to support yourself, to love, to connect. 
Um, and as Dr. Brown just said, happiness is fleeting. You know, yeah. so work on contentment, work on the deeper, you know, fulfillment and joy, those things that are more sustaining because happiness is a mood. And, you know, and yeah. I agree, the Pharrell song is fantastic. But um, work on the deeper things and take care of yourself. Good stuff. Good stuff. Dr. Coleman King, Dr. Brown, thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate you. All right. What an awesome hour. Hey, listen, we thank you for joining us today on the Brown Bag. Love God, love people, and live on purpose. We're out. Come on. Yeah. Brown Bag.